This is the Dallas Morning News. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Dallas Morning News. Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans. Welcome to Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and this week is all about the drama. We'll talk about an ice cream shop feud in Oak Cliff, the latest on the city of Dallas's Street Seats initiative, and why The Bear is the best show on TV right now. We'll also share your strong opinions about lab-grown chicken before we dive into our favorite summer food memories. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food for information on our show and lots of food and drink stories. And you can always share your thoughts with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Also, if you're a fan of the Eat Drink DFW podcast, please do us a huge favor and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll also be taking a little summer break, so catch up on our old episodes this month before we return refreshed and funny as ever on August 3rd. Later on in this episode, we'll be sharing our favorite summer food memories. But first, we're getting into some food drama with writers Claire Baller and Imelda Garcia and producer Julie Fisk. Sarah Blaskovich is off this week. Imelda, you've been covering some drama lately. And I don't know why I didn't think of this headline before. Sweet and sour ice cream feud in Oak Cliff. That's the headline. You know, that's the story. Okay, Azucar is this very popular ice cream shop in Bishop Arts. They arrived there five years ago when there were no sidewalks there. There was nothing there. The owner's abuelos were from Cuba. So Azucar sells this artisanal ice cream with Cuban heritage. The owner is Susie. She's an ex-banker, and she has another store in Little Havana in Miami. But she decided to expand her business here because her mom and her brother live here in Dallas. She found a place for rent on Bishop Avenue, and then she borrowed $250,000 to fill out the space, which had no floor, no walls, no plumbing, nothing. They even installed the tiles in the floor that are replicas of those used in Cuba. I really love those tiles, the yeah. floor tiles. They are really they're, they're really, really beautiful, and I can't believe that they built all that out themselves. Yeah, they sent me photos of the place, and there was nothing there. I mean, soil in the floor. So what happened with the, with the lease? It was set to expire in last March. By the end of 2022, they have to give notice about their intention to stay, right? Right. So, but they missed the deadline because she was grieving her mother and her partner, Andy De La Fuente, that is her manager too. He was struggling with illness of a brother. So they missed this legal deadline. When they noticed, they made contact with the landlord. It's Exir Capital. 
So they started a negotiation, but they said that this negotiation was a real mess. They took weeks to hear from them. And by last February, the Azucar people thought they had an agreement and they only needed to sign a contract. But they found out that the CEO, Michael Nazarian, they already have a letter of intent with Botolino, a Dallas gelato seller. So the Azucar people asked Nazarian to withdraw his letter of intent because it was no legally binding, you know? Mm-hmm. And the CEO went to ask Carlo Gattini, that is the owner of Botolino, if he was willing to give out the deal. And the answer was no. So Exit Capital said that they presented four offers to renew the lease to Azucar and that they say no. But Susie told us that this was not true. So we asked Exir Capital for proof of having made those offers. And they told us that there were no documents because they were all made verbally. So at the end, Michael Nazarian decided to give the contract to Borolino. And well, they plan to open their store in late October. And Azucar is leaving at the end of July. That's a bummer, too, because that's always been just a staple of Bishop Arts, the ice cream. It was always so special. It's interesting because, okay, I love Botolino. I go to their Lower Greenville location. But I feel like if I were a landlord responsible for a large food and drink destination like Bishop Arts, I would be looking for ways to distinguish myself from other areas in Dallas that are doing the same thing. I don't know of anywhere else that has a Cuban ice cream shop, but I know of another place not far down the road that has a Botolino. (laughs) So, you know, it's just an interesting thing to look at of what goes into those decisions of Mm -hmm. picking businesses to go into spaces. And that sounds like a, a big loss. Another thing that is interesting that Botolino is not just going to have the premises there. They have the exclusivity of being the only ice cream shop in the area. So it's not like Azucar can open another spot yeah, no. in Bishop Arts. Yeah, no, not near there. So the Azucar people are upset with the owner of Botolino, right? Like he is not welcome in their store right now. They have a sign up. Oh, yeah. They have a photo of Carlo Gattini at the door saying that he is not welcome. Oh. And if you look in from the inside, it has like horns and everything. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, oh, wow. I know, I know. <laughs> That's yeah. a different level. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they hate the guy. Yikes. Anyway, speaking of drama, everyone is watching The Bear right now, but recently Chicago chef Rick Bayless spoke out against it, complaining that it makes restaurants really look bad and that it has set restaurants back 20 years. So are you guys watching this show? Yes, I'm only a few episodes into season two right now. And I love it. I think Rick Bayless is wrong. For those who have not watched the show, it is about this Michelin-level chef who comes to Chicago to take over his brother's what is it? Sandwich shop? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a little sandwich shop. Like an Italian beef place. Yeah, because his, his brother died. What do you think of the second season so far compared to the first one, Julie? Well, I think one thing that's important about that first season is that the first couple of episodes are hard to watch yeah. because it has that high intensity. But once you get further into it, the characters have so much depth. So I don't understand what Rick Bayless's issue is. I don't like his goatee, for the record. <laughs> Address that. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at this Eater story that talks about his reaction to the show, he says, trying to convince people that our profession is not only a viable but positive choice is hard to do when pop culture portrayals and new media coverage only focus on exaggerated negatives. Which I thought was interesting because I feel like the bear 
and other things like it recently that are portrayals of the restaurant industry are this response to the fact that the scale has seemed tipped in the other direction for a while now of celebrity chefs, of this very glamorized look at the restaurant industry that is not the reality for most people in it. Most people are not at the level of Rick Bayless or Gordon Ramsay or Bobby Flay. That's not what working in the restaurant industry looks and feels like for the vast majority of people who are in it. So I thought that was interesting that that was his take was that this seems disingenuous a bit to the reality of the restaurant industry. And sure, it might be exaggerated, but most people that I talk to are really put through the ringer working in restaurants or running them. It seems like Rick Bayless is probably so far removed from the reality for most people that he doesn't even see it. But this issue with respecting restaurant work as a profession, I feel has come up a lot in the last couple of years since the pandemic and the labor movement. And it's kind of hard. I mean, I love restaurant workers. I know how hard it is, but it is really hard to professionalize it when you make two thirteen an hour mm-hmm. and live on tips. Yeah. To Rick's credit, yeah. I, I think that this is something that he's been an advocate for is higher pay in the restaurant industry, doing away with the tip system because it is pretty problematic in his view. But another comment that he made is with all the negativity about our industry in the press, with restaurant jobs being the butt of late night TV jokes, with so many television shows portraying restaurants as terrible work environments, we have a long path to having restaurants be a respectable career. My response to that is it's not a portrayal issue. It sounds like there's systemic issues then that need to be addressed. That would probably be the more impactful and effective thing to do is to focus on what it's like actually in those kitchens, not just what they look like on TV. Yeah. You can't blame the media on this one, dude. Okay. (laughs) And he's also wrong because it's about love and supporting each other, lifting each other up, evolving, making things better. To me, it's aspirational in many ways. So to have him shoot it down, I'm like, dude, turn on your TV. You are not watching the same show that we are. And also, is he watching the menu? Maybe that's what he's watching. That's (laughs) (laughs) The story does say that Rick Bayless says he's seen most of the first season. I don't believe him. It doesn't sound like he's watched any more than that. So perhaps he he got hung up on the first bits, which Julie, you said were were tough, were tough portrayals. So, And I do encourage anybody, if you've gone through the first two to three episodes and you're like, I can't do this because it is stressful. Just commit to it because, I mean, the characters are great. It's great acting. It's going to end up winning all the awards. And then after you do that, then go to a little spot in your neighborhood that you like, not one of the big fancy ones, and ask people what it's like. So speaking of neighborhood restaurants, there was this cool thing that happened during the pandemic where restaurants in areas like Deep Ellum, Bishop Arts, that didn't have a lot of patio space, the city sort of allowed them to convert parking lots, parking spaces, even part of the street into patios. City Council was addressing this just recently, talking about how to make this option permanent. Yeah, last week, Dallas City Council approved making this street seize program permanent. So this means that businesses can place a parklet on the street in front of the restaurants, cafes, or bars. These parklets are where restaurants can place tables or benches for diners to be outside. But this program, as you said, was born in 2020 during the pandemic and trying to help the restaurants to have more ventilated space for their customers, right? But this was only temporary and these permits were set to expire this July. So the city take some measures about it and they said, you know what, let's make this permanent. 
the city says that this was not very popular for restaurants to do because it was like very expensive, all the structure and everything, just to be for a few months, right? But now that they will be permanent, they expect more uh, businesses to do it. They say that they are trying to improve the walkability of Dallas by making these spaces like in Washington, in D.C., where you can see the structures everywhere. And, well, businesses can start to apply now because it takes 90 days to approve this permit. So if you want to install a parklet outside your restaurant, you can check out all the process on the website of the Office of Special Events in the city of Dallas. But obviously, if you read the Dallas Morning News, you will find all the information here. How does this impact parking or does it for restaurants? Because that's my question. I mean, that's something we've talked about a lot is this often very burdensome requirement that businesses have in Dallas for the number of parking spaces that they need. If this in theory could take up some of those parking spaces, perhaps. I mean, is that is that a problem? Is that something that was addressed in this? It was not, but I think they have to address that because you have to open more spaces, more parking spaces, if you are taking out these ones, right? Well, thank you so much for that, Imelda. And by the way, congratulations on being named one of the 100 most influential LGBTQ people in the entire country of Mexico. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, wow, right? I wow. was like, wow, too. I can't thank believe you. I know you. Thank you. I know. Yes. <laughs> I can give you my autograph. <laughs> yes, I need your autograph. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm kidding. No, I'm very honored to be part of that list. There's a lot of very valuable people there and I'm thrilled. And you're one of them. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, and we wow. know you. Well, Imelda, we're glad to have you here. Thank you. So we have to share some of the feedback that we got about the lab-grown chicken episode that we just had. So sheet meat? Sheet meat, meat. yes. (laughs) And Claire wasn't here to discuss it. Oh, no, but I listened. (laughs) I listened to the episode and was horrified. So you wouldn't wouldn't eat people? Or dinosaurs? Or pandas? Come on, you would eat a panda. No. (laughs) I mean, I did eat kangaroo, so I don't know. We won't rule it out. Oh, that's true. The first one that I got was the subject line said, BS. Not PS. No, BS. BS. Yes. And the body of the email says, I ain't eating that crap. (laughs) That was was actually me that wrote that. Just kidding. It wasn't. (laughs) Yes, that totally sounds like you, Claire. Most of the feedback was along that line. Jane Lancaster said, not vegan or vegetarian, and I find it very hard to stomach. Why would you want to buy it? It sounds awful. And then we also had a thoughtful response from Michelle Adams. She says, this really disturbs me. I realize it is only cells growing in a lab to be a better or more humane source of food. But the ethical and moral questions are more than bioengineered cattle. The past experience we have had over veal and the calves not having any exercise caused a huge uproar, along with the ability to trust huge corporations with the access of mass producing a food source that could be suspicious if not regulated properly. We have problems with many food sources coming from factories, as well as issues with some farm to grocery foods. I'm not trying to be a negative person on this, but much more education and research needs to be done before this is put into the public for consumption. I feel like a lot of the people who are expressing outrage have not spent much time on a PETA website because <laughs> no, I don't think so. There, there is a lot of outrage and concern about the ethical ideals behind this. Right. But there are some really horrible things that do happen in slaughterhouses. Right. And it's just funny to me that that doesn't seem to be a consideration for so many people. And I say that as someone who eats meat. No, I know what you mean, because it's like, if there's outrage about this factory meat, what about the animals and how they're being treated now? If you have seen those videos and those photos, like it is pretty, pretty gross. And there were lots of mentions of, oh, what these animals that live a happy, healthy life on a farm. And it's like, that's not how it is for all of them. Yes, there are a lot of really great, I guess, organic meat production places, 
But that's not how it is everywhere. It seems that that's being kind of swept under the rug. And also just the complete outrage where we're able to skip over the idea that when we eat meat, we're killing something. And again, this is from a meat eater, but we are killing something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It seems like there are a lot of competing opinions here. Like they want more regulations for this kind of thing, but... Which, yeah, I think is good and fair. Yes, yes, which is good and fair, but are they also pushing for regulations for what already exists? Was there anybody who said this is a great idea? Yes. Ken Lawson says, I would definitely buy it if it is less impact environmentally. I already reduced my meat consumption because of the impacts, and this would help even more. Well, that's good. Yes, thank you, Ken. That's kind of how I feel. But you don't get, like, the heebie-jeebies? Honestly, no. I mean, I cook meat for my family all the time and it grosses me out. I mean, and I eat it. I like it. Chicken's disgusting when it's raw and veal really bothers me. Cows are so cute sometimes. They have beautiful eyelashes. So, yes, there are aspects of eating meat that really bother me. But the heebie-jeebies of sheet meat, it really grosses me out. It doesn't gross me out any more than... What actually happens in a slaughterhouse? Well, see, okay, I'm an advocate for eating less meat. When you eat it, have it be really good meat. Someone in your area who's doing it, small batch doing it well, that's my answer to this problem is eat less meat, eat real meat, eat good meat, but sheet meat, I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's just a societal problem with people trying to figure out a solution to the environmental issues on such a large scale Mm -hmm. because the appetite for meat in this country and around the world is like they're not going to, especially in Texas, yes, is like not going to wane, I don't feel like. chicken nuggets specifically. Like how do you (laughs) fill the demand for that in a way with less environmental impact? Probably artificial chicken. Oh, actually, have you guys had the imitation chicken nuggets? You could buy really great fake chicken nuggets at the store right now. Is it the impossible ones? Um, The impossible ones are great. Corn makes good ones. There's one called Simulate. Mm. That's just the weirdest packaging I've ever (laughs) seen. Honestly, I don't even know how much actual meat is in a McNugget anyhow. True. I don't think we're going to know the true impact of this until it's in restaurants, it's affordable, and we can all eat it. Because if we try it and we're like, this is actually really good... And imagine if it was cheaper than actual meat, if they can get to that mm-hmm. point. That's when it'll win people over, mm-hmm. probably. It'll be interesting to watch. I don't know about this debate, but I just want to try dinosaur meat. That's the <laughs> one thing we've all agreed on here. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, right? All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your feedback with us. And if there's anything else you want to tell us, please email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Coming up next, we'll dive into what makes the dog days of summer so delicious. That's right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're fully embracing summer here on the pod, even though we still have to work. And I have to admit that even though summer normally sucks in Texas, I grew up in Houston. Now I live in Dallas, but I still have a lot of fond food memories from this time of year. Summer always seems to hit the nostalgia hard. So Claire, Imelda, Julie, do you guys have some fun summer food memories to share? 
okay, well, in Mexico and some parts of Latin America, summer is like really hot, right? Mm -hmm. So the best dish that a family can prepare for those days are caldo de res. Is this beef soup? broth? Yeah. What? It's this <laughs> beef broth with vegetables almost boiling and you eat it and you sweat like a pig. I feel <laughs> sweaty. Like the back of my neck is. Incredibly, it takes the heat out of you. I don't know why it works. So it's a hot day. Your mom is going to make caldo de res. That is fascinating. So I guess maybe you sweat it all out. And so then you're cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And then it's like outside doesn't feel as hot because your body's. Uh, Yeah, you are hotter. Because you're burning up inside. You're burning. Yeah. (laughs) It's like taking a hot shower during the summer. You get done and you're refreshed. Yeah, that's right. And people also drink uh, very hot coffee. It's like. Wow. Oh, wow. That's an interesting twist on how most people think about things. Yeah. Do you have a recipe for this soup? Oh, like- yeah. It's really easy. I mean, you just have to put this meat and vegetables like potatoes, carrots, if you want some onion in there. But the secret is you have to take it like really, really hot. <laughs> <laughs> and you can have lime at the end. So have you had any yet this summer? No, not yet. And so, Claire, what about you? You grew up in a very hot place. Yes, from Arizona, very hot. Summer, to me, when I think about summer foods, I mean, it is tomatoes. I love tomatoes. It's like one of my favorite foods. And uh, growing up, my mom had a garden, still does, where she grows a ton of tomatoes. And so growing up, we would jump in the pool, swim. Everyone has a pool in Arizona, by the way. Jump out and eat some tomatoes off the vine. And they're always really warm and just the best tomatoes I've ever had. So every summer, I feel like I'm always on the hunt for tomatoes that make me feel like a kid again, eating my mom's tomatoes. I found some the other day at Trader Joe's. I had some on the vine tomatoes. Tomatoes that were surprisingly very good for grocery store tomatoes. I always look for tomatoes on the vine when I can get them. I find they're always better. I brought tomatoes in for you guys the yes. other oh, day yeah. that yep. my husband grew. And he asked me, did they say anything about the tomatoes? Well, let me they- tell you, it was great. The one that I had, I, well, I had two, but I remember one specifically. Homegrown tomatoes, there's just truly nothing like them. They were really red. I love that. Yeah. Did you say really red? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they taste red? Yeah, they did. I even took a picture of them. Good. He, he will be happy to hear that. I felt yes. really bad. That yes, I- James, <laughs> we love your tomatoes. <laughs> And I'm the only one in my house who eats tomatoes, so I ate them all by myself and put them on sandwiches. Made a BLT. Oh wow, that's awesome. That to me is like the ultimate summer sandwich. So what yes. are your what are your food memories? Oh my gosh. Okay, so mine is like kind of the opposite, I would say, of Claire's and Melta's. Mine, I was like an '80s kid, and my mom worked, so it was like all processed junk with lots of food coloring. Okay, so like Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. that was huge yeah. in our house. Jello jigglers, do you guys remember when Jello came out with the mm-hmm. whole jigglers thing? Mm-hmm. You make like little shapes out of a sheet of Jello. <laughs> <laughs> Not like sheet meat, but like sheet of Jello. But there is one dish that my mom made. I feel like she would have been great on Pinterest if that existed back in the day. She made something called a fruit pizza with a sugar cookie crust, and it's the size of a pizza with like a cream cheese icing on it. And then you top with slices of fruit, like strawberries, kiwi, blueberries, made an appearance quite a bit. And then there's this like sugary strawberry glaze she would put over the whole thing. Yum. Yeah, it was so good. And to me, that was like summer, not healthy at all, but it was so cute, like how all the fruit would be arranged on it. So I love that it was called a fruit pizza, not a fruit tart, which I'm pretty right. much, I think it's a basically it a like fruit a tart, tart, but pizza yes. definitely sounds much more exciting as a When kid. you're selling it to children, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to <laughs> say pizza, I think. Do Maybe. you make that now? I've never made it. Oh, oh. you got to make it. it. looks like a lot of work. 
And also one treat that we always had. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but watermelon, mm-hmm. like we would eat it all the time and with salt. How do you guys oh, feel yeah. about salt on your watermelon? Yeah. I like with lime and salt. Mm, of course. And maybe some chilito. I have big thoughts on watermelon. Oh, yes. Please yeah. tell us. Yeah. Every summer I would go and stay with my granny, with all of my cousins. She would get lots of RC Cola, Twinkies, and the giant watermelons. All of my cousins would act like, oh, this is great, watermelon, but it has those gigantic seeds. Yeah. And I hated them. And my cousins would say, well, that's the cool part because you get to spit them out. But, you know, when you're little and you have something in your mouth that you don't like, you tend to like gag Mm -hmm. on it, (laughs) especially when you're trying to spit something out. And that's really bad when you have a bunch of like cousins sitting around just waiting for you to do something stupid. (laughs) So I always hated watermelon. And then my mom brought home the seedless watermelon and she was like, yay, you're going to love this. It doesn't have seeds. And she cut it open. And what's in there? Seeds. Seeds. <laughs> like, what and then is, you never trusted anyone ever again. Ever again. Like, why does watermelon get to do that? Like, why? We have been gaslit by watermelon our whole lives. There are seeds in there, and it's still, to this day, says seedless. Speaking yeah. of gaslighting, you just unlocked a whole memory for me that I have completely forgot about regarding summer and watermelon. I was traumatized by watermelon for a bit because of my sister, my older sister, told me that if you swallowed the black seeds, mm-hmm. a watermelon would grow in your stomach and I remember just this anxiety over like dear god I have to be really careful in eating this watermelon that I don't accidentally eat a black seed wait and are you saying that's not true (laughs) (laughs) I was told the same thing by my parents (laughs) I know a lot of Mexican people that says oh I cannot eat watermelon at night because it's really like heavy for your stomach but come on we go to the tacos right (laughs) you cannot eat watermelon come on baby it's like what we want to hear what your favorite summer dishes are too so please email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com and we're going to have a little time to dive into all that because we're taking a break for three weeks on our own summer break where we'll make a lot of fruit pizza and eat a lot of watermelon and drink a lot of hot soup (laughs) (laughs) so we'll see y'all back in august and that's all the time we have for eat drink dfw this week thank you all for joining and i hope we've made you hungry for more we also want to hear from you so share your food thoughts favorite restaurants or tasty recipes with us at eat drink at dallasnews.com the show is produced by julie fisk to stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next month. Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Layer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.